Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. My guest this week, Denver Nuggets General Manager Arturis Karnishevis. We talk about the Nuggets move into the elite of the NBA, their quest to build a Western Conference and an NBA champion, the arms race in the NBA this summer, and we talk about his unique path to the NBA, the first Russian-born player to be allowed in to college basketball, a star at Seton Hall, and a member of the 1992 Lithuanian Olympic team with Arvidas Sabonis, Sarunas Marcellanus, one of the real pioneers in the modern front office of the NBA, Arturis Karnisovic. Our visit was recently at the NBA Summer League in Vegas. Here with Denver Nuggets General Manager Arturis Karnisovic. Arturis, how are you? How you doing, Wos? I'm great. You're uh, we're in Vegas, the very end of Summer League, which is like last one out of Summer League. Turn out the lights. Not a lot of people left here, except for those still playing. Teams are still here. You're chasing around the AAU circuit of basketball with your boys, which is not exactly similar to how you grew up playing basketball in Lithuania. This is some this is some racket they've got out here. That's correct. You know, so I'm stuck. I'm stuck here for a long time. Uh, done with the summer league, and now finishing up with uh, AAU games. <laughs> well, it's a it's a good brand of basketball, especially this by this point in the summer, right? It's uh... that's correct. You know, I just uh, love to to watch my boys play, and uh, you know, a lot of it comes with uh, you know all the parents and all the crazy stuff around AAU basketball. So. <laughs> The parents in AAU basketball, travel basketball, it is, it's a, it's a sport unto itself watching what goes on in the stands. I agree. I agree. It's, it's something that I, uh, I grew up on, you know, parents dropping you off at practice or games and just leaving you there. Uh, parents here are very involved and passionate about, uh, games and, uh, a lot of times stuff gets out of control. So I'm kind of the guy in a corner doesn't want to get into anything so do, do parents want you when they realize who you are what your position is do they want you to evaluate their kids do, do you get some of that they they don't uh, I, I spent a lot of time you know around their program and uh, you know uh, the program itself they love Denver Nuggets and uh, I I try to to leave it up to the coaches obviously how to coach my son as well so our tours the what we've seen in free agency here, um, especially in the West, unlike really any offseason, um, especially in one conference, your group comes back, you add Jeremy Grant, who's, I think, maybe one of just absolutely fit a need for your team, can allow you to defend an, an athletic wing player who can defend multiple positions, You know, started most, I think, 72 games with the Thunder, Last year, uh, you, you know, you certainly add him, and, and Michael Porter will be, you know, I think a player you guys are very hopeful can down the road can be impactful, but but could help your team this year. When you look, you you were the second seed in the West last year. Uh, the, the star power among the, there's great star power at the top of the league. The Lakers, the Clippers, what they've done, the Jazz have in, improved themselves. 
But the continuity in Denver, you have an all-NBA player in Jokic. Are you banking on the continuity, having a group back a year older, that that contends with maybe some of these other elite teams that, that are going to be very very top-heavy? Uh, definitely we're banking on a continuity. Um, a lot of teams that made changes and added uh, huge pieces and stars, they're still dealing on hypotheticals. Uh, we've watched this group uh, uh, show us last year, uh, take us to, you know, 54-28 season, um, having a best home court, you know, home court record, you know, 34-7. and seven. So this group is done, and they still, still, uh, I think third youngest uh, group in uh, in the league. Uh, by adding also Jeremy, it uh, makes us, you know, really good. I mean, we know that you know offensively we're really good, but Jeremy's going to help us also uh, defensively. The advantage of when you look at teams, Portland, you look at Portland, which was a conference finalist last year. Uh, they keep Rodney Hood. They add Hassan Whiteside. Um, people think Anthony Simons is going to be a really good player for them. He's going to play this year uh, for them. And, and Utah certainly improved itself. <clears throat> the model in Portland, Denver, Utah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that contrasts with what the two L.A. teams are doing. And, and Denver is not existing in the world of clearing two max playoffs, uh, two max uh uh, salary slots and going out and getting all NBA players. That's probably not who your identity or, or Utah or Portland's identity is going to be. But I just think this year is an interesting contrast to how your team building matches up with how those guys are doing it now. Well, you know, just, uh, by keeping, uh, Joker, by keep, you know, by keeping Jamal, we, we're trying to keep those pieces and, uh, same, you know, continue, uh, bringing the same team back. Uh, including our coaching staff and, you know, keeping our staff in front office. So continued is our, you know, our motto. And, uh, you know, you're always thankful to the ownership that stuck with us and they could have scratched this uh, project three years ago. Uh, they stuck with us and we're thankful. You know, it's interesting you, you bring that up, Arturis, because there's no, there's very little patience left in this league and you're seeing teams trading multiple picks in the future in, in, in very much in win now modes and for you know for the clippers what the rockets did in, in their minds with the westbrook trade um like if you have a chance to get Kawhi Leonard and paul george like that's what you're going to do nobody i don't think anybody would but being in denver where they allowed you to draft well and then they were patient to allow guys to develop and missed the playoffs several years. And then you jump in last year, you go from ninth place, missing out on the playoffs two years ago on the last night of the regular season, to a second seed. Uh, there are fewer places who are willing to pursue that model, be that patient. And and I, Denver's a good example of that, of, of seeing it through fruition. Well, we're pursuing a good combination of uh, young talent and uh, vets. Uh, also, uh, you know, we're looking at the salary sheet, and we're trying to find a good combination of now we're going to have to pay guys, and then you leverage it with a rookie-scale contract uh, and find valuable uh, assets that you can add to your roster and still not going to have to pay that much. So 
uh, I think there's, you know, uh, work in progress, but uh, I, I just saw somebody tweeted that, you know, in terms of continuation, I think we are the guys that bring in 12, 12 same players, mm-hmm. uh, highest uh, number of players in the league. So we're proud of that. Arturus, when did you and Tim Connolly feel like Jokic was a second-round pick? <laughs> and when did you feel like, wait a minute, We've got something here that might change our organization. Was it gradual over time, or was there ever a moment where you two looked at each other and said, like, we did not realize what we had here, and this guy could change? Because he changed the trajectory of your whole thing. Absolutely. I mean, it was gradu- gradual improvement, you know, obviously, by Joker. Uh, I mean, he played summer league and he was, you know, averaging 10 and 7. You know, after that summer league, you wouldn't say that he's going to be a. Uh, Fourth uh, in voting in the MVP, uh, which happened this year. So it was gradual, but I think uh, you know the third year when um, December fifteen, I think we started him. Uh, uh, I think that's when he went into two months of uh, crazy numbers from triple double to uh, uh, always in double figures. Um, so I think then we um, thought that maybe there's a chance that he's going to be a star in our league. Um, you know, we before the draft, I mean, we, you know, he was available for, you know, to look at for everybody, including Hoop Summit. And uh, we had to watch a lot of uh, uh, Mark Gasol's tapes, you know, when he was uh, 18, 19 and, uh, still played in Spain. I mean, uh, he he's. A, he, I mean, he went to high school in Memphis, but then went back and right. and then we watched him uh, play for Girona and Barcelona. So, um, you know, so it worked out for us. It was uh, a little risk, and of course, the credit goes to uh, to Joker. Obviously, you know, the level of the player he become. When you were watching, when you were evaluating Jokic. You guys went back and looked at Gasol tape to see how he compared at the same time. Yeah, I mean the way you know everybody were thinking that he's not athletic enough to make it in our league, uh, you know, including us. But the skill level was always there, you know, from passing to shooting to uh, probably the best hands I've ever seen. Um, and and again, it was about to improve his body. It's about how this will work uh, in our setting. So now he's, we say that he's our point guard, and he initiates most of our offenses. You know, uh, a lot of people, you know, ask me about you know to compare him to guys like Sabonis and you know what a passer he was. And I think Joker um, took it to the next level because he also brings the ball up. You know, so he takes the rebound, he brings the ball up, he initiates our offense. So I think he's, you know, how many teams uh, in our league have uh, their center bring the ball up with two minutes to go, uh, which we had in some of our uh, playoff games. What, what do you know about Sabonis? What are you? Well, <laughs> he was unbelievable talent. And, uh, you know, when I, when I retired, I said, I said, Sabas, I said, um, you know, uh, I was growing up watching you play. Uh, I played with you. Now I'm retired. You're still playing when he was still playing in Portland. So he, he played for a very long time on a very high level. I want to, I want to get back to that, um, Arturis, the, 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 your, your 
youth, your development in in the old former Soviet Union, Lithuania. Um, but Jokic, the success your group has had, you know, you also, you know, Yusef Nurkic, who was in the same draft and you took in the first round, it was a consensus first round. He was more on everybody's radar um, than Jokic was at that time. Uh, what, what was interesting to me is your background fits with, you know, I think the understanding, you know, what Tim Connolly, your president, always says is, you know, he loves traveling internationally with you because you're known in every gym, you're respected in every gym. But you had a president, even though he grew up in Baltimore uh, as an East Coast kid, spent a lot of his career, early career, as the international scout with the Wizards and then doing a lot of that in New Orleans, too. I think both of you had an appreciation for making sure you scoured the earth um, to, to improve that talent base. That's what you guys have done in Denver. The, the, the perspective both of you had in drafting players, evaluating players, and spending a lot of time overseas, uh, it's, it's obviously paid off. Well, Tim is very versatile. Um, you know, it's not only, you know, specializes in, uh, scouting in the States, but, you know, he has so many contacts also, uh, internationally and, you know, and actually our old staff, uh, very versatile. So, um, it also contributes that generation that I played with, uh, overseas. Now they head coaches, now they're agents, now they, you know, uh, the heads of federations. So it opens up a lot of, you know, uh, doors and also, you know, the information flow. So it helps, it helps a lot. So when we travel, uh, we're trying to maximize, you know, in terms of watching talent, where to go and who to watch and project those kids in, uh, in our league. It, and that's the key. You can go watch players. Everyone can go. You can get on Synergy and watch tape. You can watch Draft Express tape. You can go scout. But to be able to get the intel from people who you trust and know in Europe, to know what player has a motor, what player doesn't, what player might not make the transition, what is abs- guys who are absolutely equipped to make it, um, the, the impact that those relationships and your trust with them, their trust with you, how much does that impact your ability to get accurate information and be able to help make decisions on guys? Well, it contributes a ton, but we still want to see the talent. We want to see those players play and to decide for ourselves. Uh, you know, we have um, international scout, uh, Rafael Huch, that does a great job in, you know, in Europe and internationally. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, Tim Tim and I and, you know, the rest of our staff wanted to go and see international talent to see if, you know, and to have those debates, internal debates on, you know, who believes that this player can make it or not. So um, the debates around the league and how how the European player was viewed in North America when you were coming out, um, when you went from Lithuania to Seton We were Hall, soft. We were right? soft then. Now soft became skilled, right? Soft became like how has you've seen the evolution of the perspective here? It's changed because of Dirk Powell, or or, or do those stereotypes still? Do you still hear those stereotypes more than you think you, you might, given the success, the track record, 
and the way European players have impacted the league? Well, they, there was a time when, you know, Petrovic, Mar- Marcellonis came in, when Divac came in. Uh, those were, you know, impactful players that came to the league then. But when I was in college, you know, they were thinking about Europeans that they, you know, they, they, you know, they lack physical ability, so they're softer. And then I would put in stage that happened to the league is when Dirk came in. So now everybody started looking for another Dirk, you know, and any, any Europeans, you know, they were grabbing all over the place until, until, you know, they were making certain mistakes. And, and then, you know, people started like, you know, to, to take their time and evaluate. And, uh, I mean, the league grew, you know, the number of players, 120, 125 in a league. Um, I actually, when I worked for the, you know, for the, for the NBA office, I came in and there were a really small number of players playing in a league and it just exploded. Growing up in the former Soviet Union, Kim Bohoney, who works at the NBA, who's been a mentor of yours, I don't know, I think Absolutely. you'd wonder where you'd be without her. A lot of European players, where the door she's open for a lot of people in the league. Um, you're a teenager in Lithuania, and and the idea is, did, did she introduce the idea to you of coming to play college basketball in the States, or was there a thought in your mind, I'd like to find a way to get there? Because no one had done it. The former Soviet Union, there had not been a player allowed to do it yet. So it's a combination. I, I played for a Soviet Union junior team at that time. I was a captain, and we came uh, to the States to play 11 friendly games all over the States. Um, you know, during the times of uh, Kenny Anderson and Tracy Murray, all those guys. So I played well, and then colleges saw me. But the the, the matter of fact is that uh, you know never uh, Lithuanian slash Soviet Union player ever played in college basketball. So never n- nobody thought it's possible. Uh, so going back to Kim, and you know, and she helped me. Uh, obviously a ton, uh, to come and play college ball and, uh, and after my career, um, uh, I remember actually Messiah mentioned that same, uh, thanking Kim Bahuni for her influence and, uh, put a print on our lives. And, um, you know, for me, um, coming from Lithuania, you know, 18 years old, um, leaving my life behind and coming to play college ball was a huge thing for me. And the, you know, I'm thankful to all the people that, you know, had a, you know, contributed to that, um, to find a second home. What was your, what was it like to be, to grow up, to grow up the way you did, get on a plane and come land and play 11 games in the States, travel around the United States. What, what was your view of the country and your because you just you probably didn't have a lot of access to maybe you didn't have a lot of media access to the culture other than watching I know you'd watch game tapes right of NBA finals that kind of thing no but that's probably the beauty of it we didn't know that much and we came here and played I think we won only two games out of 11 uh but again we brought long socks you know that you know fans were making fun of us <laughs> but long socks Socks, short shorts. Um, actually, they were calling uh, traveling when we did Eurostep. <laughs> <laughs> that changed. That definitely changed in the league. Um, 
but it was it was amazing experience uh, to to come here for those eleven games and then that translated into my career in college uh, that I went to see in Hall. So when you tell the powers that be in Lithuania, former Soviet Union, I want to go play college basketball, help me do that, what happens? What, what's the process there that allows you out to get out of, to get on a plane in Moscow and come to fly to Newark? So we were, uh, I was playing for um, a team that was traveling a second time now to the States to play friendly games uh, in the fall. And they were informed that I was going to stay after that tour, um, stay because, you know, I would like to go to college. So there was a time that we traveled to Moscow. Anytime you were in Soviet Union to go somewhere else, you had to go through Moscow. So we spent three days um, and all those details I found out later. Uh, at that time, you ignorant 18-year-old is trying to, to go and um, to live your dream in the States playing basketball. So we spent three days in Moscow when, you know, at that time KGB is deciding, you know, my faith. Um, am I going to travel with the team and go to college or, you know, I'm going to stay? Uh, so... Again, those details came out later, um, but uh, I'm glad you know they decided to let me go. And after um, again the tour, I stayed with uh, uh, Lithuanian American family uh, in New Jersey Shore, and uh, that same year I started school in Seton Hall. When you get to Seton Hall, you speak how much English? Well, I learned from TV shows, Price is Right. <laughs> <laughs> Family Feud, you know those were my favorite shows. So a and lot PJ, of it. And PJ introduced you some new words, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> His uh, vocabulary was very limited. So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So so my story, you know, I academically I was pretty strong in Lithuania, but it, all all of it was uh, based on math. And uh, the first class that I went to see in the hall was American history class and people around me that taking notes. And I look around and I was like, ah, I'm struggling to take notes. So I picked up, picked up my books and left the class and I said, I will never feel this way again. So I took a lot of uh, classes uh, as a second language uh, that didn't count for graduation over and over again. And uh, then the second year, I was able to take English 1 and English 2. Uh, and it took me a year to uh, to speak professionally in uh, English. And by your senior year, you were the Big East? Actually, by junior year. Junior year. Yeah. By junior and senior year, um, I was Big East scholar. Big East scholar athlete. Yeah. Uh, and the idea then, while you're at Seton Hall, the opportunity now comes to not, not play for – not try to make the former Soviet Union national team, which was really difficult to make. I mean, it was obviously a tremendous pool of players. Now you could play for Lithuania in the Olympics with Marcelonis, Sabonis, uh, this historic group. To be really at sort of the precipice of, of history, you know, basketball-wise certainly, but just this seismic change in the world that your team and that group, I think 
it was the first representation in sports of what it meant to play for your own country and represent a, a place that um, had fought really hard for to have that kind of recognition. Uh, what was that like at, at 20 years old to go back and play in 92? And of course, in an Olympics against a dream team that, that I don't think there was ever a Olympic basketball tournament that maybe had more attention on it for all those reasons than, than that 92 Olympics. Well, the year was 1992. So it was a year after Lithuania got their independence. Um, it was after my sophomore year and I haven't, you know, I'll come back to Lithuania for three years. I've received multiple notifications during that time that my parents received that if your son doesn't go to the army, uh, you know, he's gonna, he, uh, they threatened me to put me in jail for a year and stuff like that. So, so now after sophomore year, after three years not being in Lithuania, I'm, I'm taking a plane. Uh, again, I don't know if I'm gonna, make that team so I'm going back for the first time in three years to Lithuania um, everything is new for me uh, the feeling of independence and you know I see my family and friends that I haven't seen in a long time so for me it was fascinating exciting um, I was also afraid to go back and uh, what's going to happen uh, but after first uh, week or two when I kind of settled down and uh, got training schedule and see that it's okay. Um, there's actually independence in Lithuania. Um, then it started very well. Um, you know, we we went through uh, you know months of training um, before before we had to go and qualify for Olympics first. So people forget that mm-hmm. we uh, because we were newly independent, we had to make it to Olympics by going through qualification tournament, which was uh, 11 games. And we won all 11 games and uh, came to Barcelona. And uh, the experience there was uh, amazing. I mean, obviously, uh, PJ was on the other side as right. well. He was assistant coach for Dream Team. So that experience was uh, um, second to none. And, um, and just facing uh, Dream Team, uh, the, the players that uh, uh, I was watching growing up and, you know, watching on videotapes and uh, you finally get a chance to play against, uh, it was awesome. What did it look like when you landed back into an independent Lithuania? When you get off that plane and you start walking the streets and you leave the airport and you see your family and friends, what what looked and felt different? <laughs> I mean, I was like, uh, I don't know, um, uh, you probably question everything when you land and, you know, your parents picking you up. Um, nothing, nothing is happening. You know, nobody's gonna, you know, arrest you or, <laughs> so you go home and you have a family meal and finally everything's settled. Uh, you okay. So, like I said, you know, it took me a week or two uh, to to understand that Lithuania is finally, you know, independent and we're good to go. And uh, we, you know, put that group together that was uh, training to play uh, and qualify for Olympics. Um, so, again, my best uh, experience in my life. Uh, 
from getting a bronze medal for newly independent country to uh, just playing in games and playing against Dream Team and in general, you know, Olympic uh, tournament schedule. I love it because you play one day and you rest the next, and mm-hmm. you play again, and then you got rest. So, so it was an unbelievable experience. Was there still a part of you that was conditioned to think, when this plane lands, the police might be waiting for me there? Crossed my mind. Yeah. Uh, crossed my mind because one of the stories that you know, my first year when I stayed in the states and I was a freshman. Uh, you know, it was not let you get getting on a call, so you're writing letters, and and finally I get on a call with uh, one of my uh, best friends, and uh, you know he tells me that uh, a we cannot talk on the phone anymore because uh, uh, you know they might be listening, or you know so so it it crosses your mind that you've been watched. <laughs> so. Being a part of that Lithuanian team. Listen, some of the greatest players in the history of the end of, of, of basketball um, were, were on that team. Um, I mean, Sabonis might have been, he's probably one of the two or three best big men that ever played. Just people didn't, in his prime, people here didn't see him. Uh, they didn't see him playing the NBA. They saw him playing a national team uh, a few games a year. And uh, Marcelonis, who was who played the NBA later in his career in Golden State, uh, you know, these were revolutionary players. And they represented Lithuania in a way. It was part, a great part of the identity of that country. What was it? Did it feel like as you were qualifying for the Olympics and then getting there that there was, when you watch the document, there was, there was an outstanding documentary done on it. And of course, you know, Jerry Garcia got uh, the Grateful Dead to sponsor the team. So you were in the tie dye and mm. they helped finance the group. Uh, it looked a little bit like, like a rock tour. And it was because you had a rock, you had a rock band that was sponsoring you, but it it just looked like it was unlike any other team put together because it was so much more. It represented at a time when when it was just such a tangible source of of independence, right, for for the country. Yes, because we struggled uh, to finance our preparation, so you know Jerry and his group, you know, definitely helped us. Uh, to finance a little bit and um, you know I got to remember that I came in there with no expectations that I'm going to make the team you know I was young I, after my sophomore year I'm playing with a lot of professional players uh, in a training camp and uh, uh, it took me a while I won the spot there but playing with Sabonis and playing with Machilonis and others you know it was you know, with, playing with Sabas is, uh, he wants you to give him the ball in order to give it back to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my first practice, I kind of uh, give it inside and I cut at, a, I don't even look. And he passes me the ball and hits me right in the face. You know, <laughs> I got bloody nose. That was, that was the last time I did not look when I'm cutting, you know, so. Uh, again, just playing with him, and then you know we're talking about uh, you know European um, players at that time being soft. I mean, uh, Marchionis was nothing like it. <laughs> right, <laughs> he was as strong man that I've ever played with. You know, so uh, those two were unbelievable players at that time at their prime. Uh, I thought that 
you know, definitely contributed to uh, to the result of, uh, you know, carrying most of the team uh, to the bronze medal. The atmosphere around the Dream Team and the Olympics, you, you had the perspective of having grown up, like they were posters on your wall. They were, you, you could get some footage of NBA Finals. You certainly weren't watching League Pass, you, but, but you saw, and obviously those guys going over helped popularize the sport in Europe at the time, that 92 team just, it just opened the floodgates to, I think kids wanting to play and all those things. Um, what was it like for you, for that group to compete against them and to, in some ways it was a validation of that group and their talent that you were competing against the very best in the world and, 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 you know, being competitive with them. Well, the, we got to remember that at that time, the separation in talent was such a huge difference. You know, the later on, you know, international players were catching up. But at that time, it was such a huge difference that, you know, you're playing the game against Dream Team and you're just happy to be there on the floor at the same time. We lost by 40 or 45. So the difference is huge in score. You know, I had to guard uh, Charles Barkley. I mean, you know... Uh, it was impossible for me, so I remember actually, you know, I, I scored a couple of buckets, but uh, I fouled out that game, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, my memory from that game, I'm at the free throw line, and I'm shooting a free throw line, I'm looking, and, you know, PJ is on a, on a <laughs> bench as well, so it was kind of uh, funny, but at the same time, you know, we, we lost that game by huge margin. Barkley talk any... I don't he, remember. <laughs> he, he didn't give you the Angolan treatment. That poor guy from Angola who he put his elbow. But what amazing player he yeah. was. And, you know, just, I mean, all that, you know, all that roster was uh, insane from, you know, Michael Jordan to, um, you know, Carl Malone and, and uh, David Robinson. And, you know, obviously um, – no team had a chance at that time. I mean, the separation in terms of level. I think that's when I kind of woke up the international game when, you know, when, you know, the, the level of basketball, in, you know, increased and, in, you know, where in 1996 we were able to lose now by 20. Mm-hmm. So, so now you're moving along. And in 2000, actually, you know, also Lithuania was playing in the semis when they lost by a very small margin. So yeah. The, yeah, that was the I was the, that was in the city. That was the McDice tip-in save that U.S. team, right? Exactly, and yeah. uh, Jesse Cabbage was shooting that three. That's right, and came up short and airballed it, but it was to win. You know, Jesse Cabbage was a candidate in Memphis, and he's interviewed for a couple NBA jobs. At that time, if someone would have told you one of your peers was going to be a head coach in the NBA, that you could be a general manager in the NBA, would you have thought? That's a generation away. That that couldn't happen. It really wasn't that long ago. Yes, I mean it's it's hard to believe. Uh, looking back um, in our league right now, you know where Masai was a pioneer, mm. international uh, executive, and then uh, Vlada Divac and Sean Marks, and we would say Gerson is mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. Uh, originally from Colombia. So. Uh, I think the the league has become so international, so uh, and a lot of people, you know, know basketball around the world, and you know, 
um, you know, with with the FC Carriages, I mean, he's he's been always a, uh, one of the you know highest basketball IQ player I've ever had a, had a chance to play with. So his translation into coaching, I think, uh, didn't surprise me. Uh, his expectations are very high mm-hmm. uh, for every point guard, every player on his team, uh, but that's normal because you know his expectation for himself when he was a player were huge. How much too was it at that time? The NBA's openness, their willingness to want to move this along quickly. To you finished it. You finished your pro career. You played in the Euro League. Played in Barcelona. A couple other stops. And then you went to work in the league office. That that there was a movement within the NBA that when we have that we want to now get these guys in the pipeline and get them into leadership positions. That 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 the league played a part in that. Yeah. So I had a transitional period. But, you know, I retired in two thousand two, and then I thought I'm going to take some time time off. It didn't take me long. I was uh, first three months like uh, you know lying in a cage. I have to do something, and uh, uh, my first dream was to be in financial world, you know, and help athletes to you know to save money, uh, uh, to get involved in uh, financial industry, and I, I did it for a year until uh, you know uh, Kim uh, Bahuni came came along and offered me a job. Uh, with the league office, uh, saying that, you know, international basketball is, uh, is growing. Uh, number of players are increasing in our league. Um, you know, and, uh, if you can come in and, and help and, you know, that was unbelievable opportunity for me. Um, and, uh, that, at that time were very interesting times in the league. And I got a opportunity to, uh, to run basketball without borders camps uh, that they were just starting all over the world uh, would that be in Africa Americas uh, Europe um, so it was a special program that I was involved with at that time and, and now like those camps kind of used to be more they, they were like clinics right they went from being clinics to now like you've got to go scout these camps mm-hmm. and like especially in Africa where there has been, you know, Masai Ujiri's had his Giants of Africa program that has brought more coaching, more structure, more um, allowing players to be in programs, right? And and now, you know, uh, I talked with Pascal Siakam about this. Like he, you know, Basketball Without Borders was the first place people started to see him play. Like that's now when you go to these places to almost any corner of the world, there's their prospects, that didn't. That wasn't the case in some of these places even ten years ago. Absolutely. I mean, the, all those basketball without borders uh, now even um, NBA academies that have talent uh, worth scouting. Um, my experience with basketball without borders was uh, such a um, you know intense, and um, I'm grateful to be involved because when that started, we were so. You know, short-staffed, and uh, my favorite uh, story that I'm trying to s- tell everybody is that when uh, we uh, we took two vans and uh, we brought the all-stars from Basketball Without Borders African camp. Uh, there were 12 players, and uh, 
and we took them around for 11 games in the Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for them to play against high school, uh, high school talent. And, uh, uh, we were drivers, we were (laughs) chaperones, we were, you know, uh, mentors to those kids. So that experience really, uh, left, uh, um, you know, influenced me in terms of, you know, just, uh, just to give me a taste of that program, how, you know, how impactful that is with, uh, uh, players, um, at that time from from Africa and how that impacts their families as well so but again you know I did it uh, for uh, close to five years uh, run those uh, um, camps where is the next run of great players going to come from that we're not talking enough about right now I mean if I think we always um, trying to uh, look for trends you know and I don't think they are um, I think players come from all over the world mm. and you just got to be ready to react and identify them in time. Um, so in terms of information uh, flow, that's that's very important. You know, now it's hard to miss any players. Now with the twi- Twitter world and all social media, it's hard to miss. Uh, although every team is probably dreaming about, you know, hiding certain players right. and uh, but uh, but again, you know the the basketball is growing. Um, even now with uh, uh, basketball, you know with FIBA three and three, you know the you know basketball as a sport is growing. It'll never get to probably soccer, but can make up for that difference. So, Artur, this was uh, this was a lot of fun. Finally, glad to get you on the podcast. You would not do it until the Nuggets had made the playoffs. So. Well, thanks for having me, you know, because I think uh, anytime I get on the podcast with you, uh, I think I've finally made it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. you might want to set your goals a little higher, Arturs. All right, I appreciate it, Arturs. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. Remember to listen and subscribe to past shows wherever you listen and get your podcasts and look for a new show next week.